0: Hey, Chris, Adam, Rachel, how are you guys? It's been so long. Hey, man, we just wanted to, uh, you know, check on you.
1: Yeah, ever since we finished Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute, you've... I've gone go MIA. Yeah, what have you uh, been up to? Oh man, I've been so busy. I, I started
0: rereading the Turtle comics and-, and I got the TMNT 90 movie score on vinyl and I've been listening to that like nonstop. I watched 190 episodes of the 80s cartoon, the entire Nick series, beat the arcade game, beat the NES game and Turtles in Time like 3 times each. Watched the 2007 CGI movie and watched Turtles 90 again like 4 more times. Oh god. Dude, you need to take a break. I even
1: watched both Michael Bay movies. Again. Oh, Oh, no. God, God, guys, he's gone off the rails. I mean, truth be told, I've kind of felt a little directionless since the whole minute-a-day thing ended. Guys, guys, we need to help him. He's falling apart. He needs structure, and I think there's only one way to do it. Oh, please don't say it. We have have to to do do turtles, turtles too. too. A minute at a time. I love this plan. I'm glad to be a part of it. Hey, hey, what are you guys whispering about? It's okay, Scott. We're here to help you. We're going to do The Secret of the Ooze a minute at a time. Think of it as like your daily dose of turtle therapy.
0: It's like a sequel about the sequel.
1: You might even say it'd be our, uh... Oh, no, 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 no. Second time around. (laughs) Ah, I love you guys. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute Season 2. A podcast discussing the secret of the ooze, one minute at a time. Available wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Kawa Sequel Bunga. Dueling Genre. And welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joseph Dorowski, and this week I'm joined by Cassandra Fredrickson to talk about the short story, Mask of the Red Death. Welcome, Cassandra.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Very glad to have you on. Uh, Now, Cassandra, I asked you if you'd be willing to come on to The Protagonist Podcast to talk about Mask of the Red Death. Because I saw you praising Poe on social media. I can't remember exactly when or what the context was. You were just mentioning that you're a big fan of Poe. And I kind of mentally said to myself, I should just reach out and see if you'd be interested. And it was one of the fastest responses I've ever gotten. (laughs) (laughs) So I take it you are a fan of Edgar Allan Poe.
2: I am. I am. Um, I am generally more of like a British literature person, um, with a few exceptions. And Poe is one of my, um, exceptions. Um, I really like his stuff. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about this. And this one's my favorite, um, short story of his, so.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a good one. I, I very much enjoy Poe, uh, and all the many multifaceted aspects of his work like he, he gets the reputation of just the creepy uh, you know gothic guy but he was mm-hmm. actually really pretty broad in the amount of stuff that he covered we are going to be covering one of his creepy gothic ones though and there's a reason that in pop culture he is known as the creepy gothic guy it's because he's very good at this and also because of his mortal enemy who i will talk about uh a bit in the trivia <laughs> one of the other reasons <laughs> um so if listeners are unfamiliar the mask of the red death a fantasy was an 1842 short story by edgar Allan poe and it tells the story of prince prospero attempting to party while a plague is decimating the commoners but death comes to his party and that's almost the long summary (laughs) of this short story um this is definitely gonna be one of the shortest works we've ever covered and Uh, I I think there's still quite a lot of interesting elements to, to pull out, even though you could probably sit down and read this entire short story in about 15 minutes straight through, don't you think?
2: Oh, yeah, easily.
0: All right, well, a little bit of trivia about Mask of the Red Death and Edgar Allan Poe. This short story has been adapted a lot. Um, Audiobook editions have been narrated by Basil Rathbone of Sherlock Holmes fame from uh, the 1940s, I believe, is when he was really prominently being Sherlock Holmes, but also Christopher Lee and then several others. Like on the Wikipedia page, it just had a list of like a dozen people who have uh, read this for official audiobook adaptations. And there are also dozens of comic book adaptations in 1964, Roger Corman directed Vincent Price in a film adaptation of this. Um, and you'd think, well, if it's only you know a 15-minute read, how much could there be? But one of the more interesting bits of trivia I saw in, in terms of film adaptations is that Um, one of akira kurosawa's last projects uh, when he died he was working on an adaptation of mask of the red death and it was recently announced that a chinese production company is going to be producing a film based on kurosawa's screenplay so screenplay was pretty much complete it seems i would have loved to see a kurosawa poe adaptation
2: that's so interesting
0: yeah (laughs) and apparently he was going to be setting it in uh, russia and having it deal with a lot of um social class issues <laughs> which Ooh. the story does lend itself to. that's
2: that. awesome
0: um recently in detroit an annual halloween event called masquerade of the red death uh which promises to put guests in the center of poe short story began i think it's been running for um it was it was like 2010 i think is what i saw as its start date and i just want to note i don't want to be put in the center of any poe short story i like to read them from a distance Mm. (laughs) i do not need to be in the masquerade of the red death myself (laughs) um uh, uh, other bit of trivia about Poe. I know we previously did an episode of the Protagonist podcast in which we talked about um, murders at the Rue Morgue. Uh, and in that one, I touched on this, but it's my favorite bit of Poe trivia. He had a mortal enemy, which is so great because so few of us get to have actual arch nemeses in our life. Uh, and the man had the best name for an arch nemesis ever, Rufus Wilmont Griswold. That's and so good. They, Oh, yeah, that's that's a strong name for an enemy. And the <laughs> the origin story, at least a portion of the origin story of their, um, their rivalry is that Poe, besides being a short story writer, he wrote a lot of reviews. He was very engaged in um, the literary publication scene, uh, and he was known to be um, sometimes harsh in his reviews, but when he praised stuff, people really respected that. And Griswold was trying to be one of the people who established the American canon, what was going to be the popular texts or the literary texts by American authors. And he was putting together um, a volume of American uh, poetry. I think it was called American Poets and Poetry, something like that. And he, he kind of, it seems, made a wink wink deal with Poe saying, I'll include the Raven and Annabelle Lee, and you'll give this thing a great review. Okay. We're all on board with that. Um, and then when Griswold put the collection together and sent it to Poe, Poe was not happy with where his work was positioned in the collection and he trashed the collection in his review
2: oh my goodness it
0: seems from then on these two petty men (laughs) feuded and when poe died under very mysterious circumstances griswold through forgery and lies became the executor of poe's estate and also under a pen name wrote the um obituary for edgar Allan poe that ruined poe's reputation and a lot of our pop culture idea of poe as this um alcoholic, drug addled, uh you know, er, proto emo um mm-hmm. artist is from Griswold's false biography that uh or or obituary uh that he published. And then when because he became the executor of Poe's estate, he still wanted to profit off of Poe's works, but he included obituaries and biographical sketches in um editions of Poe's work that he published that perpetuated that idea of Poe.
2: That's so interesting. I feel like needs to
0: be a movie about yeah. Lewis, Lamont <laughs> Griswold and Edgar Allan Poe.
2: Oh my god, that's like a Broadway musical, right? That's that's yeah, like that's Hamilton cute. and Burr. <laughs> oh,
0: and uh and there's a girl. <laughs> there's, of course. Uh, there was a, a a poetess, uh Francis Sergeant Osgood that they both flirted with. Like it doesn't seem like either of them actually had any real relationship with her, but they both flirted with her um as Poe's wife was ailing. <laughs> he Was flirting with Francis Sargent Osgood and and so they uh there was a romantic rivalry as well as uh their you know the other aspects of their feud. But also I like just how dedicated did Griswold have to be to forge his way into becoming the executor of Poe's estate.
2: Wow. That is some I've never had that is some like class that. A pettiness.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the dream though. Like to have someone <laughs> that you can just butt heads with that much. Yeah, who's
2: like so obsessed with you that he's determined to ruin your life after you die.
0: I mean, simultaneously horrible, <laughs> but also what a legacy. Yeah. when, when that It's story like really starts to flattering
2: in a weird way. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, before we move on to the long summary, which is going to be, I think the shortest long summary we've ever had. Nice. Uh, we want to thank all of you for downloading this episode and listening. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive special access to our quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films, trailers, or talk about books we've been reading or TV shows we've been watching. And we have also give monthly updates on our fantasy box office game. All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get get to choose a topic for us to discuss uh and now i guess right before we get to the long summary i wanted to ask you cassandra and i kind of forgot how did you first come to poe and realize that he is kind of your exception to your british lit love
2: um i think uh it's hard to remember i feel like poe's always been like my academic um curriculum, like my awareness. Um, because like the Raven and um Telltale Heart are like middle school assigned reads, usually. Um I think the first Poe short story I ever read was Telltale Heart. Um and I enjoyed it, and then the more I dug into Poe because of my various like high school English classes, the more I'm just like, oh i really like this guy this is really like he's doing some really interesting things and i like the um the like romantic with a capital r um era of literature in general anyway um i i like gothic romances and i like that poe's um take on the uh genre is very unique um because a lot of the gothic romances that i've read are like by british authors so i like uh i don't know i just i i like the themes that he explores and i like his style um and as far as this short story goes i'm pretty sure it was required reading in high school but i think i stumbled upon it actually through phantom of the opera um because in the the musical and the book um the phantom crashes the masquerade dressed as the red death and i'm just like oh what's what's all this about and i was super into phantom of the opera um and so i read this and i was just like oh this is this is really spooky i like this a lot um so yeah
0: so uh, my um, daughter, who's now 10, about a year ago, she started asking me if I would read her Poe short stories as her bedtime story.
2: Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I read her The Raven. I read her Telltale Heart. I think I read her this one, but I'm just I should pencil in a few years. There's gonna be a fan of the opera phase, right? That's just a mm-hmm. given.
2: <laughs> I, I I think so. Like the movie came out like the the. um. Oh my gosh, who directs that? The Joel Schumacher movie came out uh when I was like fourteen, fifteen. So I was like prime age for like Yeah. I don't like all of that nonsense. Oh, I, I did high school
0: drama <laughs> and uh I remember uh fan of the opera CDs being passed around amongst mm-hmm. everyone. <laughs> the different cast recordings. Mm-hmm.
2: And I still appreciate it, but it's it's from a different perspective. Just like, oh, oh, God, like the Phantom is a horrible person and Christine deserves better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> well, I, I, if you ever cover I, I that book, point- I'll talk about it. <laughs> Your point is valid. I don't think we should be romanticizing the phantom and his no, relationship. No. I mean but but team. when you're when you're a
2: teenage girl it's just like, oh, you know, I don't know. He's it's, so misunderstood
0: and I can yes, fix him. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he just needs someone who gets him. Exactly. Uh all right. Uh, long summary of Mask of the Red Death. Uh, at an abbey that is removed from all the riffraff and rabble who are dying from a red plague, Prince Prospero has set up a party for some nobles and servants to wait out the death. So they're just kind of waiting for this uh, disease to finish spreading. Uh, inside, uh, there are seven rooms and each has a, a different color scheme and this is obtained by different stained glass windows for each room that's going to cast different kind of light inside. One night they're having a masquerade ball, which feels like it's basically every night they must be having a masquerade ball, but in, particularly, <laughs> uh, in particular on the night of the storm uh they're they're all wearing costumes and a new guest arrives and is dressed like a corpse uh with red blood splatters all over which is one of the signs of the red plague that is happening um we don't know what the disease is supposed to be it's just called the red plague it's a fantasy uh, illness and this person looks like a victim of it prospero thinks this is in very ill taste and you can tell from what i've described so far that he is very very aware of what is proper at all times to be doing. (laughs) Um, and so he orders that this guest be seized and he's going to be hanged because he's, um, He's bringing the specter of the Red Death into his party. So the guests, though, are a bit too freaked out, and they don't actually grab him. The prince uh, chases this guest into the seventh chamber. They pass through all the colored rooms. And then the figure turns to face the prince, and the prince falls dead. Uh, the, the guests uh, are super freaked out now, but they actually go and they, they grab at the figure, and the mask and the robes are removed, and there's nothing there. And then all the guests die from the disease. And the short, short story ends by saying, And darkness and decay and the Red Death held illimitable dominion over all and that's mask of the red death. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, you noted earlier that like uh romanticism, uh, the capital R romanticism, uh as a literary movement has kind of a very particular feel and there are definitely elements that are shaled, shared in American romanticism and and British romanticism. Um but I think Poe actually did a really good job of um describing a lot of what those elements are in his theory of composition even as he kind of pricked the balloon of the pomposity of a lot of the romantics at the same Mm -hmm. time (laughs) so in this essay where he's talking about um, what great writers and he's very much meaning romantic writers uh, should be doing he says well one it's gonna be a lot of work and a lot of revision and a lot of romantic writers were pushing this idea of the tortured romantic artist who just has uh the stories like bursting out of them and they can't control it, and it's just spontaneously overflows onto the page and pose like, "No, no, <laughs> that's not what we do <laughs> so it, in that sense, it's a break from a lot of romantics who are talking about writing um but then he breaks down what he called um the the unity of effect that um any work should be uh, created with the goal of creating an effect in the reader and for a lot of poe's most famous short stories it is um the the iconic kind of creepy uneasiness um, is what he's trying to create in the reader and he says there's a couple factors that need to be taken into account of that um one of them is length and for poe he says the ideal uh length for any story is a short story that can be read in one sitting if you write anything that's a novel length or anything that's of a length, where the reader is going to have to stop your story to go to the bathroom, to go get food, to go to sleep, uh, because it can't be read in a single sitting, you've destroyed the effect that you're weaving over the reader. And so that's why Poe's most famous works are short stories. He did also write a novel and a play and, you know, a lot of poetry and essays and stuff, but Mm -hmm. it's short stories uh, that stand out. And um, then uh, he also mentioned the method, which is that, like, every single word choice is methodical and not spontaneous like you're going to question every word that you put on the page and you're going to cut and revise but you're always uh choosing every single element uh to create an effect on the reader and that's in in terms of character descriptions in terms of plot in, ter- in terms of what adjectives you're going to use all of this should be about creating your chosen effect on the reader and all of this is going to build to make what he calls the unity of effect which is what good writers strive for and that that should again be maintained for the entirety of the time that any reader is engaging with the story. And I think Mask of the Red Death, um, even as we are left with like some questions about what the plot is that actually just happened, <laughs> like what are we supposed to make of all <laughs> this? It absolutely nails that unity of effect um, on the reader.
2: I agree. Um, I think it's interesting that uh, he's he's very much about um, like methodically choosing um, the... the um, like the diction of a sentence like, or, or um, he's, he's very methodical about how he writes. Um, but there's this passage in the middle that I highlighted on my copy um, that I noticed this time around um, where the rest of the short story is written in past tense, but there's this part that's, that switches suddenly into present tense. Um, and it's how he describes um the the dancing and then the clock strikes and all the instruments fall silent and everyone just kind of pauses for a moment as they listen to the clock in the seventh room and then everyone just starts like laughing and then they they go back to dancing um and it i i like it because the tense change to me signals um I don't know. I feel like the, the shift into present tense makes the, the passage flow more, which kind of evokes that sense of just like, you know, partying and dancing and like the music stopping and then starting up again, um, which I thought was really cool. Um, and the thing about like short stories and like this one in particular is that like you can go back and read it a bunch of times and then still pick out different details like that, that you hadn't noticed the previous time around.
0: Yeah, I I, I think that, you know, verb tense change, when we've talked about, you know, post theories of writing, there's no way that is an accident. And I think it's doing exactly what you described. Um, That's one of those things that um, if you came across it in um, a lesser quality short story, you'd say, Oh, come on, like the author just got sloppy or messed up but mm-hmm. um when it's from an author that you know is a master of the craft which poe is like you when you find those things you got to say okay well let's assume this is on purpose and now think about why right mm-hmm. um and uh I, I i like um what you identified there um as the reason
1: um can i can i jump in with a little story
0: yeah producer andrew coming on um, in with a little poe yeah. Poe to talk
1: yeah I, well i love <laughs> i love poe um and i I really like his um his essay on on composition and how he talks about the raven i mean that's the example he uses all throughout it, yeah because mm-hmm. he he knew where his his bread was getting buttered at the time um yes. and it was the raven. <laughs> Yeah, that was his breakout oh, oh,
0: oh. hit uh, that everyone kind of knew him for. Like he was somewhat of a household name in his lifetime. It's just, you, you know how artists today complain about piracy and how that limits the amount of profit <laughs> artists earn on their own works? That was a problem then too. So he didn't actually become yeah. rich off of The
1: Raven. Um, But um, so when I was in in college studying American studies, which is, you know, the the same track that Joseph generally has been on, not, not, British literature for me Mm -hmm. um I got credit for taking a poetry class like a 300 level poetry class which is the only poetry class I ever took but the semester I was taking it the class was actually about British poetry and so somehow I got American Studies credit for a British poetry class that's funny (laughs) um but we had a project where we had to like really like deep dive deconstruct some poetry and I talked to my professor. I said, well, technically I'm supposed to be getting credit for an American studies major. Do you mind if I do Poe instead of these other contemporary British um, poets? And he he said, yeah, as long as you, you know, do the stuff and and everything. And so I took, you know, some of the Raven and I, I looked at Poe's, um, you know, essay on composition because he he uses examples for the Raven so thoroughly. And it, it was actually really interesting. Like the class I, like what i learned about poetry in that class like everything i learned up to that point i was like oh i didn't learn anything about poetry ever (laughs) (laughs) like by comparison to this class because he taught us all this stuff about um like different modes of poetry and different elements of poetry that are used to convey things and how poetry is so mathematical and Mm -hmm. every time they break a meter it's intentional and you should pay attention to that i was like i never heard I was never told that they were breaking meter intentionally so like in high school where I was reading Shakespeare it's like and it's all in iambic pentameter so you're supposed to stick with it and follow the same rhythm consistently it was like but it doesn't fit when you try to follow the same rhythm and I in college I learned that that could be on purpose oh, you no. like come on Willie you messed up here <laughs> yeah and so you I was always like this is, this is hard to follow like in this correct rhythm and I couldn't I couldn't like get rhythm because I was like but it doesn't fit right. You know, like, there's an extra syllable here. What am I supposed to do with it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was learning all those things. And so I took the Raven. Um, and, like, the project was, you know, work out some of the stanzas and, and deconstruct stuff and try to point things out. And then you have to have, like, a 45-minute conversation with the professor. And, and I was graded on, like, that. Like, can we talk about it for 45 minutes? And, like, can I present some sort of insights? Um, That's a long time. I mean, it, it was like thirty minutes, forty five minutes. Oh, okay. Mean, it, it, instead of writing a instead of writing a paper,
2: Oh. Ah. it was you
1: know like talk it out. Yeah. Um, and so I was doing that with with the Raven, and trying to like see it's like okay, Poe says that he does all this stuff to make it really intentional and to have unity of effect and all of that stuff. D- like, is he doing it? And, yeah. um, ultimately, like what that discussion came out with for, for the chunks of the Raven that we did talk about um, was that his, um, his like choice of words and his effect in the words as like being provocative and evocative and creating imagery in your head is pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. And the choices that he was making for um, for like, meter and rhythm and all of those kinds of things um, was actually like pretty interesting and pretty unique. And so I think what you're talking about Cassandra with the um with his choice to do something and switch it into present tense for that moment. Mm-hmm. is kind of in that zone where he's actually like got this pretty intense and subtle use of, I don't like, I don't know what to call it exactly in this short story because it's not a poetic term. Right. Um, but you know, this choice to change the tense and change the moment and change the emphasis, mm-hmm. which is like that's pretty darn subtle. You know, most people, if they notice it, would call it a mistake. But if you know Poe's, you know, theories about stuff, you you point at it and you say, What is he doing? Which is which is a, a good way to view most literature.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um you know, if you're being really respectful to it and say, okay, but like assume it's on purpose. And I think we've talked about that recently, Joseph with, with another guest. Yeah. Uh, Todd Peterson. Um, we, we, we mentioned that when we were talking yeah, he about this so miracle Ass- comic assume book. Assume it's on purpose. Yeah. We said there's some of this, and I don't it,
0: but that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means mm-hmm.
1: I've got to work a little more at this. And, and so it definitely seems like that's a consistent thing with, with Poe, um, you know, in his poetry at least. And I assume also in his short stories where, He's doing these things in, in poetry. It was metrically to draw attention. And like with the Raven, it's, you know, this really, um, you know, well-paced descending thing where he intentionally breaks the meter periodically, but otherwise it's, it's like descending stairs, you know, mm-hmm. you just got to keep going. Like it propels itself. When you read the Raven out loud, it just propels itself and it makes you want to speed up and things like that. And I picture it like, like it's going downstairs. Cause it's, it's, um, dactylic which is like the opposite of iambic um Mm -hmm. on on the emphasis of syllables and stuff and so the fact that you pointed out something like that and it's like i think he's doing this on purpose and i really you know want to dig into that like that's totally consistent with poe i think Mm -hmm. and and he really owns up to what he says in his theory of composition about um you know you gotta you gotta mean it you gotta be intentional you gotta focus and you gotta have like labor over all of this stuff. it's like, he, he walks the walk, I think. Yeah. I, I will note T.S. Eliot famously
0: said, if Poe had actually applied everything that he m- mentions in uh theory of composition, the Raven would be a much better poem, but I would much rather read Poe than T.S. Elliot. <laughs> 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 Just Ooh. literary people can get so snarky with each other.
2: <laughs> They're so catty.
0: Yes um one thing uh that i had stood out to me about like his where we see poe's mastery of um form uh, and the way that something is there that maybe you don't pick up on but i think um you intuit as you're reading like the the feeling that is um created through this is just in the very second paragraph it begins with like this rhythm of three things where it says prince prospero was happy and dauntless and sagacious and then it Mm -hmm. lists everything that went wrong like there's a plague. Everyone died. He's ordered, uh, you know, a thousand wealthy people uh, to come hang out with him. And then that paragraph ends by saying the courtiers, having entered, brought furnaces and massy hammers and welded the bolts. So you get another three things. So like happy, dauntless, and sagacious. But then they're locking themselves in and they're locking something out from them. Um, You know, and within this one paragraph, there's just a really... Um, interesting echoing uh, and, and bookending uh, of like all this horror that's inside, but it starts happy, then it describes all the horror, and then it bookends with them locking themselves in and locking the horror out.
2: Hmm. Well, even like if you take um, like the the sentence Prince Pospero was happy, dauntless, and sagacious, and then you compare it to the last line that you referenced in the summary and darkness and decay and the red death um, held in illimitable dominion overall. Like that's the, the, the pattern of three again. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and darkness and decay but, are and the red death, those are all capitalized in that last sentence. Mm-hmm. I think Poe knows what he's doing guys. I think that's what we're trying to say here. <laughs>
2: well i hope so otherwise i wasted a lot of time in high school and <laughs> middle school and college <laughs>
0: <laughs> um but with, with his idea of the unity of effect and all these things that we're like identifying that i think are creating that feeling for us um it makes me think of um on this podcast there are times where we describe the plot of a tv show or a movie or a comic book or or a novel um and then um often we would kind of start up by saying, okay, there's a few nits to pick and you know, this doesn't work. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. But then often we say, but I don't care. I still really love this, you know, X, Y, or Z, this, this, this story, you know, in whatever medium Mm -hmm. it's coming from. And I think when that happens, it's because the artists have successfully created a unity of effect where the plot holes, um, that if you start to look, maybe, you know uh could cause the whole thing to fall apart a little bit you don't care if you've enjoyed the ride you're on like because you are swept along because of this unity of effect and i think those stories where maybe the potholes feel more prominent and and it just kind of stays like a you know burr under the saddle bothering you about the story i think they failed to create the unity of effect that poe is saying um the best artist should be striving for
2: Mm mm-hmm
0: because this plot is, it's a fairly thin plot. And I think there's some thematic heft that we can dig into a little bit to it. Um, but that's not why you read Mask of the Red Death. It's not for the plot. It's not for the themes. It's for this kind of feeling that it evokes as you're, um, you know, going across his words.
2: Mm-hmm. It's very um, atmospheric instead of plot heavy. Yes,
0: which I definitely. like sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's one thing that you're going to get from uh several romantics uh you know th- certainly there are other even even some other post stories that are more plot heavy or more character driven than this one
2: mm-hmm.
0: um like I, I this may be one of the first episodes where i didn't list what character we're gonna be talking about at the top because it's like well prince prospero maybe he's a jerk <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> <laughs> but but i don't know that there's a whole lot to dig into uh for prince prospero uh, uh maybe the guy you know the this figure of death but again it's like what character do we find this is like you said it's it's all about the atmosphere i think
2: mm-hmm.
0: so besides the atmosphere that we've said is very successfully evoked in this short story what do you think are any of the themes that we can start to pull pull out of this what do you think pose um getting at if you want to look uh for a more thematic uh angle of attack at masquerade death instead of just discussing the the form uh and and you know the atmosphere that it that it creates
2: Um, well, I think the big obvious one is, um, death as the ultimate equalizer. Um, I mean, like the prince's name is literally like Prospero, like prosperity. Um, and he like invites a thousand of his like rich friends, um, who I assume like, you know, had healthcare or whatever, (laughs) like medieval, whatever the medieval equivalent of like health insurance is, um, and they spend like I think
1: it's called money,
2: right? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they have gold in the treasury. Um, they spend like five and si- or six months um, walled up in this abbey before this happens. And I think so, it says half
0: of you know everyone else dies, right? Isn't it? Yeah, like yeah. His, um, trying to get the exact his quote dominions, were, here. Half his dominions were half depopulated. Depopulated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The word depopulated is not used often enough. Just want to put that out there. As a, For as a some reason,
2: like in in this context, it's super visceral. Like,
0: yes, it's it's a an evocative term, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just like half of your half of your subjects died suddenly in thirty minutes. Like, that's the crazy part of, of this, like imaginary disease, is that you you you're stricken with it in like less than an hour. Um.
0: You cut out some blood. And, uh, yeah
2: and then you're dead <laughs> um but yeah no like death as the as the equalizer um and the the hubris of of humanity like especially prince prospero like oh you know like if i just wall myself up in this like there's no way that this disease is going to get to me and my rich friends um
0: well and, and so it's not just like the belief that uh, I will be immune uh, from from this disease, but then also, like you add on, like uh, you get this personification of the disease there, and his thought as well. I can hang that, <laughs>
2: that
0: mm-hmm. <one." laughs> uh, and, and that'll take care of things.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I feel I've like... always
2: liked. Oh, what were oh, you go gonna ahead.
0: say? Oh, I was gonna say I think. Uh, like, I, like, I feel like there's something with the the color rooms. And yes. I I poked around, and there are you'll be shocked to hear m- multiple theories about what we're supposed to make of you know all these rooms that are colors of the rainbow um, mm-hmm. as as it descends and passes through, um, and I wasn't satisfied with any of the ones that I ran. <laughs> and, and so I'm like <laughs> and part of part of me wonders is there something more there or is there actually less there than what I'm looking for, and it's just. Um, again, like part of the, uh, the atmosphere more so than, uh, like you're going to find a one-to-one correlation of the blue room with, you know, well, or, you know, the purple room with royalty or anything like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's in this case, um, cause I don't know if we mentioned it on here this time, but I'm, I, I co-host Lord of the Rings minute and, um, Tolkien uh, is, um, very famous for saying that he doesn't like allegory or like a one-to-one correlation and i think that holds true with the rooms like i think it's just the the culmination of like the the different colored rooms because like if you don't have different color rooms leading up to the the seventh like room with the black and the red like i feel like the um the 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 like the visual painting, I guess the the word painting that he's doing it loses some of its effect if you don't have the lead up to the final room with the black drapes and the red window, you know. So I don't, I don't know, I don't know that it stands for anything necessarily. I think it's just like, oh man, look at this guy. He's he likes colors a lot. <laughs> um... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: Um, well, and, and like, uh, this does kind of remind me a bit, like just, just talking through it some with you makes me think of another podcast that I recently, um, heard it's an episode of the Omnibus podcast. And where they were talking about like the seven colors, of the rainbow and why indigo is included in there. Cause mm-hmm. I think all of us, even in grade school are kind of like, I don't know, guys, is that really <laughs> a different color? <laughs> <laughs> um, and when you, it turns out, like when you actually like are breaking down to like wavelengths and light spectrums, it's there are other like shades within the rainbow that are probably actually more distinct from other ones than indigo. So why did we end up with indigo? And it was um, because of um, Isaac Newton uh, wanted a unity of seven. Like seven was one of these numbers that was appearing, uh, you know, in the seven note scale uh, at the time. They thought there were seven planets, and he wanted mm-hmm. to keep the unity of seven um appearing uh in 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 nature (laughs) um and so when he was uh he's the one that added indigo to the color spectrum basically and to the rainbow and uh, it still sticks around Um, interesting you know in between blue and violet uh and uh it was this quest for you know, this idea of, of like, well, seven seems to be the number that naturally occurs. So let's make sure that is in our color descriptions too. Uh, and, and, but, but that idea of like seven just being this recurring number, I think that like, like, I'm happy with that description of why there are seven rooms in there. Like, the, I, I think there's something uh, that Poe would have been aware of and would have been um, echoing in his, you know, in, in this story to have seven, color-oriented mm-hmm. rooms uh within you know within the text even if just that echo is kind of like there to make you uh, again like feel that reaction and then maybe ponder on it but you're not going to discover suddenly the key to unlocking everything and saying aha i i figured out exactly what each one of these rooms represents
2: Hmm. isn't um mm-hmm. isn't seven like a biblically significant number as well
0: i i like if you get into like numerology and stuff i think it is one of those yeah. that's always going to get
1: kicked around yes I, there's a number of biblically significant numbers and then three numerology <laughs> yeah, that, and yeah. astrology <laughs> yeah. and I think seven, seven is seven, I think, is one of the commonly significant numbers, mm-hmm. as is, is three. Mm-hmm.
2: Right.
0: But I, I yeah, well, I, and I, I don't want to be like applying <laughs> because like, I know it gets so muddy. I don't know which one I'm pulling from. I, say, I just feel yeah, like yeah, seven yeah. is one of those significant numbers that uh, you you'd find being used, I think, in a lot of art.
2: Mm-hmm. I think, like, seven and three, like, together, they're just, like, pleasing to to humans. Because, um, mm-hmm. like, we had, like, we talked about the rule of three before with the way that he um, lists three things in a row. Yeah, like um, in rhetoric,
0: the rule of three is, yeah. is very commonly employed. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So we mentioned there's the inevitability of death is one of the themes, the hubris of the upper class is definitely another one like this idea that they could avoid death at all or kill death when it came for them um Mm -hmm. the and also like the uh just the like uh, the hypocrisy that i see (laughs) like I, i joked about it in my very brief summary um when uh uh Prospero was just like offended that someone come dressed as death because that's in such poor taste when <laughs> they've walled themselves off from yeah they're hi- the they're hiding
2: from death yeah all,
0: all around them to have <laughs> you know, this crazy party uh for months mm-hmm. on end it's you know and, and so like hypocrisy i think is definitely present there is there anything else that you see um that's worth uh you know pull it, pulling out and mentioning
2: um i'm sure i'll think of something as soon as we sign off but
0: um, there's I also think like, those
2: are the big ones.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, 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 the description of the seven rooms is it goes from East to West, right? So you kind of get the, you know, the day to night, um, idea, but you know, mm-hmm. it, when we're talking about the inevitability of death, there's also like, um, uh, a passage of time, like the prince chases the figure from morning to night, basically from East to West mm-hmm. to the last room. Um, mm-hmm. and the idea of, you know, passage of time and aging, I think is all there. So I think there's a few things there, but again, that's not the strength of the story. And that's not why I think this is considered one of the, the you know, the classic American short stories, uh, the, the, its presence, you know, as part of the literary canon with the, you know, the, the, so much that Poe wrote, this one still is kind of one of the most famous. And I think it is because it so successfully embodies um, a lot of the, the Gothic romantic genre uh, and mm-hmm. is um, so, so able to produce that feeling of unease as you're reading it. And again, like at the end, you're kind of like, you're left with like, what am I supposed to make of this figure of death that wasn't really there? (laughs) Like what, what, what did I actually read? Like how much of this is real? How you know am I supposed to accept as real? But when you're reading it, you don't care about any of that. Um, And I think that's where it's most successful.
2: It's definitely, um, I think like, cause you could spend all day nitpicking about like, you know like what each of the the colors of the rooms means and like um why the why he um he's so peculiar about like the the hours passing on the clock and like mentions of time but i think it's it's bigger than the sum of his parts because of that um the the like the atmospheric nature of it um and the um i can't believe i can't remember the term but the the effect of the short story the on unity the unity of effect Yes, the unity of the effect. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And uh, for me, this uh, it kind of makes me think about um, like when Lost finished, and so many people were dissatisfied with the finale mm-hmm. of Lost. But I still think, like, I so thoroughly enjoyed being in that world and everything that I felt and pondered as you know we were on that. It's six years, right? Six seasons of Lost. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think it very successfully did that, and maybe. The landing doesn't, or you know, for a lot of people, they say it didn't stick the landing like they they wanted more out of the explanation. But for me, Lost is kind of like a romantic capital R text where it's kind of like, what am I going to feel as I'm on this journey with these characters more so than am I going to have everything satisfactorily explained and every plot thread that was introduced resolved by the end.
2: And honestly, I could go on a tangent about, like, modern, quote-unquote, like, criticism of, like, movies or TVs, uh, TV shows, but, like, you don't have to explain – to me, for a story to be successful, I don't need to know why something happens, like, or – I guess I need to know why, some like, big things happen, but I don't need to know – I don't need to know where the polar bear came from. Like, it's mm-hmm. just there. It's just there on the island, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I am I guess I'm in the minority, but I really liked the finale of Lost. Like, I did too. i have with you, watched actually. It. Okay. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> Solidarity. I haven't rewatched it, so that might change. But like at the time, I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. I remember being very surprised to find out how negative a lot of the reaction to it had been. Because when I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that, that hit home for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I feel like. I mean, okay, we're we're kind of becoming a, a lost tangent, but I, I feel like um, <laughs> some of the the criticism that I I I heard like they they had interpretations of the text that I didn't have, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people say, oh, the, you know, they were, you know, they they had died at the playgrass in the beginning and were in limbo the whole time. I'm like, that's not how I viewed the final uh, the finale. <laughs> that's not what I took mm-hmm. from from any of the you know any any of that stuff. Uh, and and so you, I I guess some of that you could say is um, a criticism of it that, you know, whatever they were trying to say left so much open that there are multiple interpretations that people feel are valid and it's coloring their reactions um, to it. But again, Mm -hmm. uh, like I just remember very fondly everything from pilot to finale and all like the fan obsession around it. And, and um, you know, the, the teasing out of the mysteries that happened and trying to follow up on all, uh, you know, all the references within there and, and it's in this discussion with you today that I, I kind of realized I think some of my enjoyment, it's its that Poe-esque unity of effect enjoyment more so than this was a puzzle box that led me down this crazy maze and then showed me everything that, you know, every twist and turn perfectly so it right. all made sense right. and interlocked perfectly.
2: Because I know for a lot of people, they're just like, oh, it's it's like a waste of six years of my life. Was it really, though? Because you enjoyed the ride up until you didn't, I guess. Like, I'm sorry <laughs> yeah. that it didn't land for you, but... <laughs> I don't necessarily view it as a as a loss, Uh haha, a loss. Um, But but hopefully, you don't get negative reviews because of this conversation.
0: (laughs) They like Lost. That's it. One star.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They like the Lost finale. One star. Uh,
0: (laughs) Um. I guess just jumping back to *Mask of the Red Death*. Uh, one mm-hmm. other interesting part, I, I think, um, in talking about like the hubris of the wealthy and their goal to like avoid the death and hide away, is that we're we're told like one half of the the world was depopulated out there, but inside it seems everyone dies, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So in their effort to run and hide uh, from death, everyone everyone died instead of, you know, one one half dying. And like we have such vague understanding of what this this red plague is supposed to be um, mm-hmm. at all. But I just think that is like this extra dose of uh, punishment or, you know, uh, karmic poetic justice <laughs> that comes at uh, at, the, at these people who, who thought they were going to be savvier than all these commoners uh, and, and be able to hide away.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, in locking themselves away, they've locked death in with them. So that's probably mm-hmm. why all of them die because they can't get out.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> they yeah, also it, don't have
2: time to get out.
0: Yeah, because it it, it's so quick. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. once once it's there, um, you know, de- death is uh, is unleashed on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so in some ways that almost because like I, this uh, as a whole, I don't think fits into it. But it, it is something of that kind of, uh, you know, O. Henry twist uh, or Twilight Zone twist at the end. You know, they they thought they were making themselves safe but really um they were locking themselves in with death the whole time mm-hmm. um it, it doesn't quite you know land as um w- with the immediacy of like the you know the last three minutes of a twilight zone episode or you know the last few paragraphs right. of, o- of an o henry but i think some of that is there and this is like predating like the uh pop culture's obsession with twist endings and the and those kinds of turns which you you, you know you'll start to see with things like occurrence at Owl creek bridge um and much mm-hmm. more uh, popularly in the in the twentieth century than when, when Poe was writing, but I think it it is maybe like an early kind of antecedent of of some of those ideas mm-hmm. All right, well, Cassandra, do you have any final thoughts on Poe in general and Mask of the Red Death in particular
2: um I haven't read this in a really long time and it was really nice to revisit it. Um, And if you have, if you're listening to this and you haven't read this, it's literally like a 10 minute read and it's like (laughs) on the internet for free.
0: So it's public domain (laughs) or um, (laughs) like I have an audible audiobook reading of the entirety of Poe's short story collections yeah, like everything you have Poe wrote, it's complete works of Poe, but Mm -hmm. it's not, I'm a little disappointed in its organization. So it's kind of hard to like go say, I want to listen to this one short story and you'll find it very quickly in there. Cause it's like 45 hours of, of Poe. Um, so I just, wow, I went and found a LibriVox, um, which LibriVox is, um, like non-professional people who say we're reading public domain works for consumption, like for audiobooks, for pod, there's podcasts and on YouTube and there were many, versions of like if I plugged in LibriVox Mask of the Red Death like this is one that a lot of people have read but the one I clicked on it was just like it was, it was this older man and he just had a great voice for reading Poe uh, with like kind of like the aged gravelliness of you know an old man's voice mm-hmm. uh, and and I was just so happy with what I got even though it wasn't one of the like I said dozens of professional uh, adaptations that have been published and put out there uh, so mm-hmm. if you if you want a, a quick very enjoyable and and uh complete uh experience you can go read the online text or or find one of those free um audio versions that are out there and i think there is something to be said for theory in this age of like binge watch shows where it's like okay i'm gonna watch six hours of a series tonight and you know six hours two nights for now and <laughs> you know you just uh a lot of consumption seems to be about um uh, trying to consume everything from, uh, in the case of like classics, it comes like a decade's worth of storytelling as quickly as possible, and you know you do it in in like three four months. You you watch almost a decade's worth of television um, mm-hmm. that was never meant to be consumed in that way. There's something to be said for a short story that's going to give you everything uh, that the author wants you to get in one single sitting, um, and in some ways, like because of on demand and binge viewing, I think maybe we've lost some of our interest in those contain stories that just are and, and and not just like on demand and binge viewing but the ideas of like expanding universes of of storytelling and i love sprawling narrative universes i love marvel comics i love mm-hmm. dc comics i love i love those but it's also great to pick up a po short story and just get lost in the atmosphere of that world
2: <laughs> right it's i mean it's like it's bite sized right like you can read this on your lunch break or or just like before you go to bed as in the case of your daughter <laughs> but <laughs> and i like I, I like that the, it's like it's like a little atmospheric um gothic interlude in the the noise of 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 you know like whatever you're watching like game of thrones or lost or whatever.
0: Yeah, I like that description. A little a little bite-sized gothic atmosphere. <laughs>
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And uh the great thing about Poe is, like, if you, if you like this one, there, he's got others. <laughs> you you can go down the Poe rabbit hole, uh mm-hmm. and, and, but it, because they're all bite sized you can just do as much as you want. Like, you can go read the Cask of maniato and and that's it. It's not like um exactly when I'm reading like a Patrick Roth's novel, like how many pages is the next chapter? Because it's twelve forty-five at night, and I've got to get up and teach in the morning. <laughs> like, can I read the next chapter? Oh, it's only five pages. I'll read the next chapter. You know that kind of situation. With Poe, it's like oh, mm-hmm. the whole the whole story is five pages and, And now I'm going to bed. Well that's gonna wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows. You can go to duelinggenre.com. Also please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number thirty nine, we talked about Edgar Allan Poe's short story, Murders in the Rue Morgue, or episode number one oh seven, when we had Cassandra on to talk about Lord of the Rings episode number 176 when we had cassandra on to talk about uh, a doctor who episode the one with vincent van gogh which is a mm-hmm. great episode uh you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com and we're also on twitter you can follow us at protagonist pod or at jay dorowski and our producer andrew is at disminute. and our facebook fan page is facebook.com slash cassandra would you like to plug your show and any social media uh, associated with your show Yes.
2: Um I am also on duelinggenre.com. I co-host uh Lord of the Rings Minute with my husband Norman. Um we are going to be well, I guess as of this episode recording, we haven't dropped uh Return of the King yet, but I guess when it comes out, we will have be three or four weeks into Return of the King. Um and that's going to be a long, long ride, but it'll be fun. Um
0: <laughs> You're gonna think you're done several times.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm I'm looking forward to like the seven endings. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, but you can follow us on Twitter at LOTR minute. Um, I am at Dark, Ho- Dark Hearted Rose on Twitter as well. That's my personal account. Um, and if you uh want to check out our podcast, that'd be really cool. Um, there's over 400 episodes to listen to, so
0: <laughs> I believe I'm in five. I've had it. <laughs>
2: Yes, at least
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I very much enjoy Lord of the Rings Minute I like the Movies by Minute uh, genre of podcasts a great deal And once Mm -hmm. I knew it was a thing, I thought Some brave soul is going to be tackling the Lord of the Rings trilogy And it turns out it's you and Norman
2: Yes, the extended, might I add Um, Uh, All four four hours of Return of the King (laughs) 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 That's true
0: All right, well, listeners, thank you again for downloading this episode, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Google Docs being slow, I'm very sorry. I usually. Try to do this before we start recording and forget. And when I'm about to read the outro, Andrew's gonna have to edit. You get to to do it, and you're like, oh, shoot.
2: Yeah. (laughs)